jazzguitarlessons.net improve your jazz guitar playing with a real teacher podcast number 18 welcome so today i want to uh, do a brief one and once again nothing technical nothing too fancy but a lot of rambling uh, you know a lot of discussing uh, first topic would be uh, why use pentatonic scales and it's more of a philosophical discussion if you if you excuse the expression and the other part i want to talk about pacing and pacing especially while you're improvising, while you're soloing, and how it changed uh, personally my perspective on uh, improvising, on learning how to solo, and on how to teach it, especially. So let's get going. First topic, pentatonics, and why? what's the philosophy of using pentatonic scales? So recently, uh, jazzguitarlessons.net and the blog, that is blog.jazzguitarlessons.net and the YouTube channel, um, I published five articles and videos, a series of articles to describe how to, well, what pentatonics are, how to apply them on the, the entire fretboard, how to practice patterns that can come in handy when you're improvising. And parts four and five are dedicated to how to use them in playing context. So what about this D7 sharp nine chord? What pentatonic can we use on it? And the, the objective of this series, it's kind of strange because people think will look at it uh, or ask me, you know, pentatonics is just a blues scale, right? We just like hammer some like rock blues, BB King, air clapping lines, and that's it. But the answer is no, it's not it. <laughs> of course not, because you can always use pentatonic scales on extensions of chords. For instance, this is one of my favorite examples. Uh, if you have a C major chord, a C major Lydian chord, you can always play B minor pentatonic on it. As counterintuitive as it sounds, if you look at all the notes, it makes total sense. Um, so it's why I want to talk about it now. Uh, there's a lot of exploration to be done and a lot of experimentation that you may do on your own and find really neat pentatonic scales. Um, this does not really relate to what we talked about in a previous, perhaps, a, I think, podcast number 3 or 13. Anyways, I'm all messed up in my numbers here. but. There's a point where in podcast I played the 251 and I said you should apply this or that pentatonic scale. This is different because we're not talking about the 251, we're only looking at one chord after another chord after another chord. So it's not on progression, it's on static chords. So let me go back, backtrack a little and tell you how I came across practicing pentatonic scale and studying them and finding my own uh, little, little tricks, little magic tricks that I like. Uh, the first thing is I stumbled upon books and techniques and teachers and articles and one of the things I, I found was, well, it's just a pentatonic scale, so as you said, as we said earlier, just blues, whatever, and at some point, before studying them and finding out all these beautiful, crazy ideas, I took lessons with a really great, great Montreal jazz pianist and I asked him, you know, what, what do you think of pentatonic scales? And his answer was, well, you'll never hear Keith Jarrett go, you know, run the pentatonic scale up or down. I went, huh, yeah, that's right, that's right, you're kind of, kind of right on that. But, you know what happened? Uh, soon after, I listened to, well, you know Keith Jarrett probably. Keith Jarrett's a famous, one of the best jazz piano players in the world right now, and his trio consists of himself, Keith Jarrett, Gary Peacock on the bass and Jack DeJanet on the drums, and they've been playing standards for about 30 years, uh, which was quite radical when they started to do it in the 80s. Uh, but nowadays we, we heard 
you know, the studio play a whole bunch of standards and it, it, it's beautiful music. So there's one album called Live at the Blue Note, where they play Autumn Leaves, right? And it's a beautiful take, you should check it out either on YouTube or get this album, it's, it's amazing. The intro is fantastic, it sounds like classical piano, uh, they improvise on it, it's it, like madman. It's incredible. And at the ending, I, I think they played in G minor and they, they start vamping on that C7, you know, on the four chord, they, they vamp on C7. And Keith Jarrett, the piano player, just improvises simple, very, very, very basic lines on G minor pentatonic. And I was listening to this, I'm like, wow, he's really sticking to that sound. There's no outside notes, there's no chromatics, there's no um, Dorian scale or major scale, there's nothing. He sticks to those five notes, for, hangs onto them for dear life. I don't know exactly why he does it, but it works. So I was thinking of my teacher. I said, well, you know what, now you're, you're wrong, right? Because Keith Jarrett does use a pentatonic scale. Not in a flashy way, not just to you know, run up and, and down a scale, but he wanted to outline this, this sound within the scale. So I went, hmm, I think I'm going to study pentatonic scales after all. So the philosophy on it and uh, the final point I'm trying to make here, it's pentatonics are just a tool. It's just another thing you have in your toolbox. Not that you want to use exclusively uh, pentatonic scale in your, in your improvisation. And um, not that it, it would sound good either, right? So from all the things that you know, you can incorporate pentatonic scale on, on interesting extensions and find interesting ideas for yourself, right? It's always the point. And technically speaking, on the guitar, it works so well because you have two notes on each string. First thing. Well, depending on fingering, but the, cla the classical fingering, uh, the, the classic way to approach it is two notes on each string, which is very practical for us guitar players. And the other thing is, you, you can think of uh, pentatonic scales almost like arpeggios of five notes. They're not really arpeggios, but you see them, you can see them as five notes that relate to the chord in a certain specific way. If you looked at just an arpeggio five note, it would be one, three, five, seven, nine, right? Or three, five, seven, nine, eleven, or something like that. Pentatonic scale, same idea, but not necessarily in a, in this order. Not necessarily stacked in thirds, right? So those are the all the reasons I think you you should consider looking at the the different pentatonic scales and check out the articles on the blog. Check out the videos. You can learn a lot from them. By the way, there are backing tracks. Um, it's the first time ever I use backing tracks in my, my website, uh, say my online teaching thing, I've never really liked backing tracks, but now on the blog post you can find backing tracks to help you practice those ideas, right? So that's it for pentatonics now. The second topic I wanted to discuss today is, um, <laughs> how we could say, Miles Davis-ish. Um, in terms of pacing yourself and using silences in your solo. And I wonder if I discussed it somewhere along, somewhere on the website, I, probably I should now, but there's a thing that really uh, struck me at a certain point in my learning process, and it was knowing when to stop playing. Because unlike, say, a trumpet player or a saxophone player, we don't have to breathe physically when we're playing notes. 
We could be playing notes and don't stop for an hour and it wouldn't really mind. I mean, physically, we, we don't mind doing this. It doesn't mean that it sounds very musical, though. And same idea for piano players. They can play forever, forever, and it doesn't matter. But it seems to me, at least, that when we play forever, we lose sight of the big picture of where the solo is going. And we maybe we're not able to grasp uh, to grasp the listener or the audience. We, we're not able to get somebody's attention with our solo. While if we start to leave more space and silences within the solo, there's more space to breathe, people might start to follow along and jump in and say, oh, that was a nice idea. Oh, here's the next sentence. Here's the next phrase. Oh, that's nice. Oh, you still hear where it's going. Almost like building, uh, it's like architecture, like a, a beautiful building, right? So there's a few things. First thing you got to do is listen to Miles Davis because Miles Davis is a master of playing silences. As uh, one of my teachers in Montreal said, sometimes you listen to Miles and you want to sing along to his solo and you hear notes he didn't even play, man. It's crazy because it's so strong and silence is so well placed. So the first step that I personally went through was reading something in an article or a book about an improvisation technique. It's just called play stop, play stop, play stop, play stop. And I forced myself improvising on B flat blues or something, forced myself to stop after every phrase and make the beginning of a sentence of music very clear and the ending of a sentence of music very clear also. As soon as I started doing this, I, I, I swear, I was alone in the practice room and I started to play the best solo I've ever played on B-flat blues. Not that the ideas were better, not that the scales were better, not that anything was better, but because I was stopping, I would let the previous idea that I played resonate in my ears before playing the next one. So I was making sure that the next idea made sense, not only in my fingers and right scales and arpeggios and stuff, but that it made sense musically. This is the same idea as call and response in, in jazz or blues music. You play something and you answer yourself. So that was the first step. I was amazed because there was nothing fancy to it. I just told myself, stop. Take your, your hands off the guitar for once and just stop playing and wait. Wait it out until you feel the this urge to play. There's an emergency for the next note. The next thing you're going to play is has become so inevitable, if you wish. So that was a, a suggestion I, I kind of make here that you should try if you never tried something like this. The other idea is a, a Miles Davis quote. Did I tell you I was a Miles Davis fan? Probably. Uh, and Miles Davis said um, that he played only on his third impulse. So if you're playing a solo, you get an idea, you say no. You get a second idea, you say no, no. Third idea, ah, now you play that third idea. So naturally, you're going to play and leave a lot of space and way more space in your solo, obviously. Uh, but it's kind of esoteric in a certain way. Play on your third impulse, like, yeah, but when you're in performance, you don't really know what's happening and you, you get stressed out and you play more, you play more, you play, you play, you play, you play. So here's the last suggestion, which is more scientific, if you will, more rational. Take a form, take, say a B-flat blues, and give yourself the aim to play for four bars and to stop for four bars. And be anal about it. Just be, 
really play strictly four bars, four bars, four bars of you know alternating between silence and playing. And you'll see right there, it's easy to do, and you'll start hearing stuff you never heard before, right? Um, uh, in the same vein, you can take this exercise of a strict amount of bars and apply it to different numbers of play and stop. If you take a B-flat blues, for instance, you could play three bars and rest three bars. And that would uh, have you play in different spots in the bars. Or if you want to be crazy, or if you really want to be a mad scientist about it, you can play three bars and rest two bars, which amounts to five. So you will always be in a different spot in the form. So not only will you give yourself a chance to hear and to rest and to put silences in nice places, but also you will strengthen your sense of the time, of the form, of rhythms perhaps, and swing, and etc. So, uh, of course, you can be really crazy, which I was for a while. You can take um, a form that's autumn leaves, 32 bars, and say, oh, you know what, I'm going to play four bars and pause and rest for three. 4 plus 3 equals 7, so you know where I'm going with this. You get, you get messed up in the beginning because you don't know where you are anymore. But you should stress the fact that you know where you are in the form. And if you play by yourself with just a metronome, make sure that you strum some chords during your silence. Um, in fact, this is one way I, I recommend people that they start to comp for themselves in solos. Take a B-flat blues and play a solo two bars and the next two bars just comp and alternate, always get your mind into a zone of alternating between comping and soloing and comping and soloing and comping and soloing and at a certain point it will become so obvious and so natural to you that you will start to comp in your own solos uh, even without talking, thinking about it. So this is a completely, completely different topic of course uh, pacing is not about comping for yourself <clears throat> but in any case I hope these suggestions uh, will help you getting a better sense of pacing in your own playing and uh, try it out, you'll be amazed. So I'm Mark from jazzguitarlessons.net. Improve your jazz guitar playing with a real teacher. That's it for podcast 18. I'll see you in the next podcast. Take care.